This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Now, tonight we begin with the adventures of Sam Spade, starring Howard Duff as Spade and Laureen Tuttle as his secretary, Effie. The series was largely overseen by producer-director William Spear. In 1947, scriptwriters Jason James and Bob Tolman received an Edgar Award for Best Radio Drama from the Mystery Writers of America. Duff had a tempestuous relationship with actress Ava Gardner in the late 1940s. In October of 1951, he married Ida Lupino. After he was listed in Red Channels as a communist subversive in 1950, he lost his radio work and might have forfeited his entire career had it not been for his marriage. The couple separated in 1966 but didn't divorce until 1984. In this episode, first aired in 1950, it's a complex story of murder and extortion, and it's entitled The Dog Bed Caper. The National Broadcasting Company presents The Adventures of Sam Spade, Detective. Sam Spade, Detective Agency? Me, sweetheart. Sam! Would you mind telling me where you are? Not at all, Effie, not at all. Let's see, uh, I'm at the ill-rigged Denarabi Tile Sea Grog. I don't understand it, Sam, but I think I caught the word grog. Oh, you're shrewd, Effie. You see, I'm on the inside, and the lettering is printed on the outside. Uh, now, if you'll wait, I'll go outside and read it the right way, and then come inside and Never tell... mind, I've already guessed. You're at George's Elite Bar and Grill. Trapped. Sam. After me, you promised me you wouldn't. I am? Uh, me? I promised? Me? You did, Sam. You promised faithfully to stay away from bars. You know how hard television is on your eyes. Have you got your glasses? One in each hand. Fill them up, George. Oh, Sam, I heard that. What will people think? Uh, they'll never know, Effie. I always drink here under another name. Oh. Just a little of the hair of the dog that bit me, Effie. But don't worry about me. Although it's true I have been dogging it and have been hounded from tree to tree, I am frisky as ever and will be in to unleash my canine chronicle, namely the dog bed caper. Or he who lies down with dogs gets up with murder. Or, condensed for easy reading, <laughs> NBC, William Spear, radio's outstanding producer-director of mystery and crime drama, brings you the greatest private detective of them all in The Adventures of Sam Spade. Effie? Here I am, Sam. Here I am, Sam. Effie, did you ever write poetry in school? Well, 
Well, I was known as Emily Dickinson of Central High. I thought you had a touch of internal rhyme scheme there. <laughs> I doodled a little poem about you today. Really? Well, redoodle. <laughs> there was a detective named Spade with oodles of brains in his head. Clever, clever. But when he took up drinking, he forgot about thinking. Now give me the punchline. And Effie has stayed quite unpaid. <coughs> well, a little rough, but cute. Did you get the idea, Sam? Never could make any sense out of poetry. Ready? It's getting close to Christmas, Sam, and I... Pencil porn? I use my last pencil, and I don't really have enough money to Please, buy any... Please, Effie, I have no head for figures. All right, I give up. From Samuel Spade, license number 137596. Subject, the dog bed caper. Oh, Sam, I hope this is going to be all about dogs. I belong to the tail waggers, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I've read all the books by Jack London. Yeah, 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 yeah. I just think... Down, be... Effie. Oh. Strangely enough, you will not meet a single dog in this story. Actually, this narrative has little indeed to do with our four-footed friends or their beds. And I'd change the title now, except that it's already gone out for publicity. Dear Dundee, it all started with a phone call to my secretary, Miss Effie Perrine, a doll, requesting my inimitable services at the investment counseling firm of Cameron Incorporated. Clearing everything off my desk, two shoes with feet in them, my own, I went over. The firm of Cameron Incorporated was obviously not for the pushcart set. It was plush, ankle-deep rugs, imported drapes, and the receptionist. She had a plushness all of her own. I said hello in my plushiest voice. She liked it. She said so. Oh, I like the way you said that. Say it again. Life is too short to go back even for a moment. The past is a dead thing. The present dying. Only the future alive and vibrant. However, hello. Is there something? <clears throat> there is. Uh, could I ask a question? Why not? I will rephrase the question. Uh, what time do you stop working this evening? Around six. Care to have... Why not? There's a little bar around the corner, okay? Why not? Why not, indeed. Bring your own money? Well, come anyway. Your name? Celeste. Mine's Sam Spade. Who's Mr. Briggs? He called Major me. Briggs? Why, he's our chief accountant. I just happened to have my door open. Did I hear someone inquiring about me? This is Mr. Spade, Major Briggs. How do you do, Major? Uh, it's a pleasure to meet you in person, Mr. Spade. I'm the man who called you, you know. I'm grateful, sir. Now, what is it I can do for you and Mr. Cameron? Oh, it's not for me that I called. I haven't a worry in the world. And it's Miss Cameron. Oh. Old Cameron's been dead for many years now. I see. Uh, whatever she wants, Mr. Spade, do a good job. We are all counting on you. Uh, will you please announce Mr. Spade, Miss Roberts? Certainly, Major. Uh, if you'd excuse me. Nice to have met you, Major. Miss Cameron? Yes. Miss Spade's here. Send him in, please. You're on, Sam. Have fun. Think I might? Why not? That girl had the most beautiful double entendre in town. Well, to get on, Adela Cameron was a career woman, around 29, although the tailored suit made fine detective work difficult. No makeup, severe hairdo, and in spite of all this, chic. In fact, as we shook hands in a most businesslike manner, I had the feeling that something warm might well spring up between us. Something like a warm mutual dislike, maybe. But something. Most men simply cannot be told anything in confidence. They gossip. That's a switch. I don't appreciate your humor, Mr. Spade. I accept your apology. I will tolerate you because of your reputation. All right. I'm going to give you a very difficult job to do. Uh, Miss Cameron, 
What is it, Major? I'm sorry to interrupt you, but Courtney Pierce is on the phone. Mr. And... Spade, this is Major Briggs, our chief accountant. We've already met. Uh, Mr. Spade. Now, Adela, Pierce wants us to unload his short-term governments and buy American cattle. He's dividend crazy. Amcat's de declaring one in January, and he wants it. Well, let him do it. Well, I just want to protect your interests. You know what will happen to Amcat after February... They'll drop ten points and he'll blame us. I went through this with your father when you and Greg were... That's right, Major. Well, tell him we advise against it. But if he persists, ask him for a release in writing. That's what I thought you'd do. That's the way your father would have handled it. I just want to protect your interests, my dear, that's all. I know, Major, I know. I just want to protect your interests. Well, don't worry about us. You know, we're not children anymore. All right, my dear. Where were we? Oh, you were giving me a difficult job. Oh, yes. Here is the business address of Mr. I.J. Barco. He's a wealthy manufacturer, a client of ours. Mm. I want you to find out everything about him, especially anything unsavory. Sorry, I don't do divorce or blackmail cases. Mr. Spade, this is not a divorce investigation. All right, what is it then? Why do we want a client shadowed, yeah. I believe is the expression? That's it. Because we believe he is investing money through us for some racketeers. If that were true, we would, of course, have to drop him. But we don't want to lose his business just on suspicion. I see. Find out anything you can about him. I'll give you $50 a day in expenses, one week guarantee. Will you consider the job? I have considered and taken the job. By the time I'd reached the door, she had already forgotten me and was hard at work on some papers. Outside, I planned to dally a few moments and idle chit-chat with Celeste. But before I had the chance, I was accosted by a husky young chap whom I'm afraid was a Princeton man. What were you talking about in there, Spade? Oh, you have the advantage, sir. Who are you? Gregory Cameron. Now, come on. What was Adela telling you? Well, if you step to one side, you can walk around me and ask her. Look, don't pull that cagey private detective routine on me. I pack a little weight myself. Well, pack it somewhere else, Sonny. I asked you a question. I expect an answer. <laughs> There's your answer. Any more questions? <laughs> He didn't feel much like talking then, and I was so irritated I walked out without saying goodbye to Celeste. When I reached the street, the white-haired old gentleman, Major Briggs, hurried out behind me. Uh, Mr. Spade, please don't think too badly of that boy. I've known him from the cradle. He's in a difficult emotional state at yeah, the moment. Yes, sure, sure, sure. As far as I'm concerned, Major, it never happened. Uh, you're a kind man, Mr. Spade. I could tell that when I first saw you. You're just the sort of man Miss Cameron needs. Well, I hadn't looked at it that way. If you require anything, don't hesitate to ask me. I've been with this company 40 years before those two children in there were born. And I know how difficult life can be at times. I just want things to go well for them. I'll do my little part, Major. Uh, bless you, son. Bless you. I started to work. The card Adela Cameron had given me revealed that my quarry, Mr. I.J. Barco, was of all things a manufacturer of dog beds. I sat down on a hydrant to think this over and then followed the scent of horse meat on over to his factory on South Dolores. It was built in the shape of a large doghouse, and outside stood a billboard with the message, A survey of independent dog tracks, kennels, and canine corps proves that dogs choose Barco beds two to one. I had to get a look at Barco himself, and so ruffling up the hair on the back of my neck, I trotted into the building, sniffing and wagging my tail in a very friendly manner. 
It was very easy to see, Mr. Barco, after I lied a little about my connections. What was that name again? Senor Don Jose Martinez Sada Morales, but you may call me Sam. And you represent a group of retail outlets in South America. Oh, I do indeed. We have our eye on your dog beds, Mr. Barco. Well, now, let's take a look at our catalog here. Now, say you had a great day and you'd want something regal like this uh, Louis XIV. Ever see a more beautiful bed? Well, not lately, but Mr. Barco... Down, boy, down. Now, here's a number that's very big this season with English Bulldogs, a Sheraton, natural wood finish. Lovely, huh? Arriba. And, of course, if it's an Irish terrier, here's a purely gag present for his sense of humor. A, a Murphy, Murphy bed. bed. Get it, Sam? Irish terrier? See, <laughs> see. Well, of course, we, would, we wouldn't ask a dog to sleep in a Murphy oh, bed. Mr. Barco, I'm afraid I don't see anything here I like. What's this? Do I understand you, sir? You are refusing this small speck of comfort to the one unselfish friend that man can have in this selfish world? Well, I'm not refusing anything. I just don't have The unselfish to... friend who, if fortune drives you forth an outcast into the world homeless, will ask no higher privilege than to be at your side to guard against danger. Well, Mr. Barker... Faithful unto death, there by your graveside will be found the noble dog. My his graveside? head between his paws, his eyes sad but watchful, faithful... <laughs> We shook paws, and I felt his nose to be sure it was cold. It was, and I left. I rented a car and took up a station outside the Barco factory. About four o'clock, he hurried out, jumped into a long, low vehicle shaped like a dachshund, and mushed off. I followed. An hour later, I was phoning my first report to Adela Cameron's secretary, Celeste. You went to the city hall. What did he do there, Mr. Spade? License bureau. Marriage, not dog. Really? Where'd he go then? Grocery store, where he bought one bottle of olives, one bottle of vermouth, and one bottle of gin. I wonder what he's going to make. What recipe is that? Well, now he's in an apartment house on Post Street, just across from the drugstore I'm in. And judging from the groceries, intends to stay a while. He has laid in provision. Uh-huh. Well, I guess that's all we wanted to know. What? Uh, Miss Cameron just told me to call you off the case. You'll still get your guarantee, though. Major Briggs will send you a check. Well, that doesn't make sense. Sam orders his orders. All right, all right. What about tonight? I'm afraid not. Some other time. You mean... You mean it's all over? The half-daring, half-shy kisses on the Oakland Ferry? The, the warm, passionate spring nights at Fisherman's Wharf eating abalone? The... Hello? Well. Puzzled, as who wouldn't be, I walked slowly back to my car. But before I had a chance to get in, I saw I.J. Barco hurry out of his apartment house. But he didn't enter his car. He came right for me. Spade! Spade! Just a minute, Spade. <laughs> so sorry. My name is Don Jose Martinez. Sada Morales yet. Don't kid me, Spade. I'm not as stupid as I acted today. Huh. Look, I know why Adela Cameron is following me, and you don't. And you'll never find out any more than the other four detectives did. I was the fifth choice? What? I shall speak with my agent about this. I'm going to tell her in person that this foolishness has to stop. If it doesn't, she'll live to regret it. Now, one more thing. I presume you're going to follow me. Well, I'm turning right on market and heading out to 1217 Ridgewood Place. You shouldn't have any trouble. <laughs> And with that, he spun on one heel and trotted to his car. He took off, but when I went to my car, it wouldn't turn over. And when I lifted the hood, I found out why. All my spark plugs were gone. I picked up a new set at a service station, looked up Adela Cameron's address in the phone book. It was 1217 Ridgewood Place. And a good half hour later, I got there. Barco's car was out in front. No one answered the door, but it was open. 
Adela Cameron was a crumpled heap on the living room sofa. Oh, Sam. Sam, help me, please. All right, all right, Miss Cameron. Let me look at you. Are you hurt? No. No, I'm all right. It's him. Where? The bar. I hurried into the bar and was met with a strong odor of scotch. A bottle of it had been broken. And holding the neck of the bottle in one hand was I, J. Barco. He was on the floor. His hands slowly opened. The glass rolled out, and he died. You are listening to the weekly adventure of radio's most famous detective, Sam Spade. Back to the dog bed caper. Tonight's adventure with Sam Spade. It took three bullets in the chest to finish off I.J. Barco. He'd apparently been standing there pouring a drink. Barco broke the bottle as he fell. I couldn't find any other signs of violence or any gun, so I went back to Adela Cameron. She was beginning to calm down. I don't know who did it. I just don't know. Well, it couldn't have happened more than a minute ago. And you were in the house, weren't you? No. No, after I left my office, I... I stopped in the store for some things. Then came home. When I was driving down Ridgewood, I heard some sounds. And you thought they were a car backfiring. How did you know? I've heard this script before. Don't you dare accuse me of killing that man. It's not what I think that counts, but what the police accuse you of. Sam, I heard those sounds. I came in the house... When I went into the bar. You didn't notice Barco's car out in front? Oh, I suppose I did. I don't know. I, I don't remember. Uh-huh. Who are you calling? Homicide. Sam. Sam, wait a minute. Just a minute, please. Wait for what? I, I want to tell you some things. All right. Go on. I kind of get the feeling I was hired to put the finger on the dog's best friend. That's not the way it was. The last thing in the world I wanted was for him to be killed. Oh, murdered, I mean. All right. What did you want? I'll tell you the truth. Why, I really had you watching Barco. I'd be curious. We handled his investment account. My brother, Gregory... We ran into each other. I heard. Well, Greg took $150,000 of Barco's money and invested it, without my knowledge, in a television company. I hear that medium's making money. But it turned out this company was just a front for some men who wanted to build a gambling syndicate up north. You mean your brother didn't know that? He knew, but there was supposed to be big money in it. He was going to give Barco a good profit and... Take the rest for himself. And Barco found out and threatened suit or something. He never would have known, but the deal fell through and the gambler said the money was gone. Then he asked about the investment. What could Gregory and I tell him? What did you? Unfortunately, the truth. We said we'd make up the money with interest, but he only gave us 90 days. We couldn't get it by then. So you didn't shoot him. Your brother did, eh? No, Sam. No, he couldn't have. I know, Greg. He'd have more sense. In my brief meeting with him, I didn't think he had any sense. Just one more thing before I call the police. Sam, Sam, don't call them. Help me get him out of here. Somewhere. No dice. Sam. Sam, don't let my whole life be... Stop it. Stop it. You set me on Barco to find some blackmailing material, yes? Yes. And then why did you suddenly call me off the job tonight? I didn't. Your secretary said you did. I didn't. I didn't tell her anything of the sort. Can I have that phone now? (laughs) 
So I called you, Dundee. Before you arrived, I looked through Barco's pockets for something to do and came up with a picture of him and a girl taken outside a marriage chapel in Las Vegas. The girl was Celeste, Cameron Incorporated's plushy secretary, several years younger and two shades less voluptuous. Her address, 627 Finley, was supplied by a now hysterical Adela Cameron. No one answered Celeste's door, but I heard a shower going inside, so I took the liberty of entering. Persona non grata. There is. Well, who is it? Come out and see. <gasps> oh. No false moves now. Keep that towel right where it is. What? what are... Am I doing here detective work? And I must say I've already found out a great deal. Well, Sam, I'll admit I did express some interest in you. But if you recall, I told you not tonight. It's my only night off. And please leave. I don't want any difficult scenes. All right, we knock off the cute touches and get down to business. You were married to I.J. Barco, right or wrong? Wrong. Wrong, it's right. You were married in Las Vegas at the chapel of the Flamingo Hotel. Uh-uh, the towel. I was only married one day. My parents had it annulled. I was underage. Well, you don't have to worry about him anymore. He's dead. No. Shot three times at close range. Oh, no. In Adela Cameron's house. What? Not by you, of course. Although, on the other hand, as you would say, why not? I didn't do it, Sam. Suppose I... you spill. He wanted me to marry him again. Why? Well, I... I know all about the money the Camerons misused. He found out Greg and I were in love. I should have known. He said he'd forget about the entire 150000 if I'd marry him for six years. 25000 a year, that's a good price. How can you talk like that? Practice, I guess. So, Gregory had another good reason for killing him. He didn't, Sam. I know he didn't. Anything that would stand up in court? I don't think so. Suppose we say you called me off Barco's tail so Gregory could get at it. I didn't. I called you off because I was supposed to meet I.J.'s apartment tonight and give him his answer. I couldn't do it with you there. Flimsy, flimsy, but it might hold. It's the truth. I was going to see him, but I changed my mind. Any particular reason? When you saw him, would he be the kind of man I'd marry? Well, you did once. Well, it looks bad for Greg. Because someone at Cameron Incorporated knew Barco was going to be at Adela's house. Sam, will you do me a favor? Maybe. Give me an hour. Then I'll go wherever you want. I'll tell you anything you want to know. Why an hour? Because if I'm going to live with myself, there's something I have to do. Well? Please, Sam. If you do, I'll give you some information you might want. For example? There was someone at Cameron Incorporated who knew that Barker was going to Adela's house. She must have known I was going to wait outside and tailor, but she didn't, because without once looking over her shoulder, she emerged from her apartment house, slithered into her car, and led me directly down to the railroad station. She met a man in the waiting room, threw her arms around him, whispered something in his ear, and they hurried out to track seven. There was a transcontinental train getting up steam. She kissed him, and he climbed quickly up into a pullman named Aurora Falls. And almost as quickly, I climbed in the other end. We met in the middle. What are you doing here? I came to take you off the train, Greg, before you made a big, big mistake and left town. Now, look here, Let's not Spade. go through the intercollegiate tough talk again. Are you coming off, or am I going to carry you off? You're going to carry me off? And I did. Celeste was gone, and he revived when he hit the cool air. I let him out of the station as unobtrusively as possible. Then we went down a side street to where my car was parked. That's where he began to show signs of life. Spade, look. You're all wrong. Guy's got a right to leave town when he wants to. I'm gonna sue you from here to the city hall and back. Shut up and get in the car. 
Celeste just told me about Barco. You don't think I did that, do you? As I get it, you and Celeste were leaving town together, right? Yeah, she told me to go on and she'd come later. That was unwise of both of you. Come on, get in. Spade, I didn't kill Barco. Nobody said you did. Now, if you kindly get in the car and give me an address I want, and you know, we'll go see who did kill I.J. Barco. He gave me the address I wanted and said I was crazy. I told him why I wasn't, and he began to see the reason of it. Never have I gone to pick up a murderer with more distaste. When we knocked at the door, I had a gun in my hand, but it wasn't necessary. Oh, come in, Mr. Spade. I knew you'd be along sooner or later. I don't like what I have to do, Major. Major, it can't be true. It, it just can't be. Uh, come in, Gregory, my boy. Come in. A little Madeira first before we start to talk. Madeira? How can you talk about wine when a man's accusing you of murder? Oh, I don't think it's so unreasonable, Greg. After all, I did kill the unfortunate Mr. Barco. And this might be the last Madeira I shall ever have. Uh, Mr. Spade. Thank you, sir. Uh, Greg? I don't want any wine. Spadey's out of his mind, and so are you. I'm afraid not, Gregory. Oh, that was a vintage 1900 Madeira you wasted, Greg. Twice as old as you. Stop it, stop it. I'm I... sorry about what happened, Greg. I would have spared you and your sister this unhappiness if I could have. But destiny was against us all. You knew he was going to Miss Cameron's house, didn't you? Yes. Just before I left for the bank with the weekly deposit, he called for Miss Cameron, and I took the call. I told him she was gone, and he said he was going to her house. It was to be an ultimatum. The money in 24 hours or exposure. But you... You didn't have to... Kill to... him? Certainly not. It was a crime of passion. I take the weekly deposit to the bank every Friday, and I always carry a gun. Silly me carrying a gun. Never had to use it, but the bonding company requires I carry it. Well, I went directly from the bank to Miss Cameron's house. I wanted to help her face Barco. Was she there? Uh, oh, no, Mr. Spade. She'd apparently stopped downtown to do some shopping. So I faced Barco alone. I asked him point-blank to give these young people more time, but he just laughed at me. He said the only time they'd get would be in jail, so... It happened. Well, I hadn't intended to, but I became angry. Suddenly found the gun in my hand, and the thought crossed my mind. My life is just about over, and yours, Greg, is just beginning. It was easier to pull the trigger than I would have realized. Oh, Lord. Uh, more Madeira, Mr. Spade. Thank you, Major, but no. Well, allow me to present the bottle to you as a gift. I'll get my hat and coat. Greg, my boy, I'm sorry. You're sorry. Major, I... I wish I'd never been born. <laughs> End of report. Oh, Sam. I wish I hadn't either. Hadn't what? Been born. That poor, poor man. Yeah, sour racket. It is, it is. And poor Gregory. He'll have to go to jail for, for something, too. <laughs> he will, F. He will. How about typing it up? Well, I hate to, but I guess it's my duty.
let me see. Uh-huh. Murder is all in place. Gunshots indicated. Dundee's grammar edited. My astuteness emphasized. <laughs> Yeah, you've learned your job well, Effie. Oh, I'm glad you're pleased, Sam. Uh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. What's this? P.S. Dundee, hands off Celeste Roberts. She's mine. Effie, what's the meaning of that? Well, well, you are going back to see her, aren't you? After the way she threw herself at you, no? Do you think she's my type of woman? Oh, Sam, I think every woman's your type. Every woman but me. Now, Effie, come here. <laughs> Would I have you working in this office if you weren't my type? I guess not. Well, then let that thought be your comfort. The world can have all the Celeste Roberts it wants, as far as... Oh, I can't go through with it. You see? Sam, you can have her if you want to. But in the end, I know you'll come back to me. I never doubted it once. Oh, Sam. You don't know how much you mean to me. Yes, I do, Effie. Three weeks back salary. Oh, you... Uh, 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 uh. Good night, Sam. <laughs> Good night, sweetheart. <laughs> the Adventures of Sam Spade are produced, edited, and directed by William Spear. Sam Spade was played by Stephen Dunn. Lorene Tuttle is Effie. Script for tonight's adventure by John Michael Hayes and Dick Powell. Musical scoring by Lud Gluskin, conducted by Robert Armbruster. us again next week, same time, for another adventure with Sam Spade. Hear the magnificent Montague, then visit Duffy's Tavern on NBC. Stay tuned for Fibber McGee and Molly next on Theater of the Mind. Time now to go back to 1939 to catch a program that was one of the mainstays for comedy back then. Fibber McGee and Molly. The series starred the real-life married couple, Jim and Marion Jordan. Tonight, we hear about a package that arrives from Uncle Seymour. The Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. The makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coat present Marion and Jim Jordan as Fibber McGee and Molly with Bill Thompson, Jimmy Shields, and Billy Mills Orchestra. The show opens with It's a Hap, Hap, Happy Day. Before we get together for another Fibber and Molly show next week, many of you will be richer by many lovely Christmas gifts. When you have them all unwrapped and you're standing there thinking how nice Santa was to you, ask yourself this question. How many of these presents should be protected with genuine Johnson's wax? Now, to some of you, that might seem a strange thought. Of course, you can't wax a necktie or a handkerchief or a negligee, but you'd be surprised how many things you can protect and preserve with Johnson's wax. Picture frames and parchment lampshades, for instance. A wax polish will keep them beautiful and easier to clean and dust. Leather goods, new luggage, shoes, fine book covers, handbags should all be given a Johnson Wax Beauty Treatment. 
Guns, fishing rods, sleds, even fine briar pipes all benefit in appearance and service when they're wax protected. It's the same Johnson's Wax that has beautified and protected floors for over 50 years that gives greater beauty to tables, chairs, and woodwork. So, before you begin to use these lovely gifts, protect their beauty with genuine Johnson's Wax. has convinced Fibber that his back fence quarrels with neighbor Gildersleeve have no place during the Yuletide season. Result? Here shoveling the snow off Gildersleeve's sidewalk in a burst of virtue and perspiration, we find Fibber McGee and Molly. <laughs> ah, nice work, McGee. Only 20 feet to go. Are you tired, dearie? Oh, you. Are I tired? <laughs> and look at these blisters. Oh, heavenly days. They are big, aren't they? Big? I ain't had such blisters since I played hooky from the fifth grade. <laughs> How could you get blisters on your hand playing hooky? Did I say they was on my hand? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, go to work. You're almost through now. Okay. <sighs> There. Well, all finished. Whew, am I tired. And a nice job, too, dearie. Yeah, but it ain't right, Molly. Doing all this work for a big heel like Gildersleeve. Well, a heel never gets anywhere without some good soul to lead the way. <laughs> wow. Let's go in the house. I'm cold after that. <laughs> hey, Fibber, Fibber, Molly, I've got something for oh, you. Oh, look, McGee, Mr. Wilcox. Uh-oh. This may be that thing, folks. <laughs> Better start taking up the rug. <laughs> well, and what have you got for us, Mr. Wilcox? <laughs> A big package. Here, take it, Fibber. Oh, is it from you, Mr. Wilcox? No, I just happened to see your name on it at the post office, so I told the mailman I'd save him a trip. Oh, oh gee, thanks, Arla. What you been doing at the post office? Oh, I just sent my little nephew a snake for Christmas. Oh. Snake? That's kind of dangerous, ain't it, for a kid? Oh, it couldn't hurt him. It's just a baby snake. How do you know? Well, it's still carrying its little rattle. Oh. <laughs> well, so long, folks. <laughs> Minds me of the time when I was a boy, Molly. Somebody gave me a great dame for my birthday, but I had to give it away. Why? Cost too much to feed him. Had the house broke before he was. Oh. <laughs> well, come on, let's go in and open up this package. Okay. Who's the package from, Molly? Look, McGee. Huh? It's from your Uncle Sycamore. No. Not old Uncle Sycamore McGee. Right. Why, he wouldn't send anybody anything. That guy's tighter than the middle sardine. But you always said he was a very wealthy man. Sure, he is, but he's such a miser, that's probably a couple of pounds of sawdust to refill that rag doll he gave me when I was three years old. Oh, McGee. And I'll bet he foreclosed the mortgage on the saloon to get the sawdust. Well, whatever it is, I don't think we should open it until Christmas. <laughs> Uncle Sycamore would be offended. Now, wait a minute, Molly. Wait a minute. As the guy says when he's seen the gal in the old-fashioned bathing suit, there must be more here than meets the eye. <laughs> Maybe the old spider has finally got a hunk of Christmas spirit. Yeah, like old Scrooge. Maybe yeah. he's broken down at last. Sure, he's getting pretty well along in years, you know. 
Maybe he's begun to realize that I'm old enough now to handle large sums of money, and maybe he's... Oh, shucks, I'm dreaming. Well, don't wake up now. Go on and dream. I was just thinking the old skinflint might really send a wad of dough to... Oh, no, no, I'm wrong. Not that old tightwad. How can a man be so stingy? I don't know. They say he's so close-fisted, the only way a fortune teller can read his palm is with an x-ray. Yeah. What'd you say? X-ray? Yeah. That's it, Molly. You got it. X-ray. We'll get that package X-ray. That won't hurt Uncle Sycamore's feelings. Wonderful, McGee, wonderful. Oh, you're so clever. <laughs> oh, it was nothing that any red-blooded American <laughs> boy could... Get your hat, Molly. We're going downtown and get this box X-ray. We'll even take a cab. I'll be right with you, Oh, I'm a millionaire. If that package you got there is more than a pack of navy beans. <laughs> you ready, Molly? Let's go. <laughs> The whistle of this x-ray laboratory, second door on the left. Here's your change, Doc. Oh, go. That's all right. Keep it, bud. Gee, thanks. This will come in handy. I was all out of sin sin. <laughs> well, what did you swallow? We ain't swallowed anything, sis. Oh, really? Oh. Most everybody comes in here swallowed something. Hairpins or coins or tacks. I'm writing a book about it. I can't even swallow that. What's the title of your book, dearie? How to Get to the Seat of Your Trouble Without Calling an Usher. Oh. <laughs> I'm author myself, you know, sis. What did you write? The Midget Britches. <laughs> it was one of them short shorts. Now, look, miss. We want some X-ray pictures taken of this package. Yeah. I see. If you'll sit down, the technician will see you in a few minutes. Oh, fine. 
Oh, McGee, you know I'm a little nervous. Me too. What if there is a million dollars in this package? Oh, don't say too much about it, Mom. Oh, good day, my dear. Will you please see if my x-ray plates are ready? Oh, sorry, Mrs. Uppington. They won't be ready until tomorrow. Hey, Molly, look who's here. A big flake off the upper crust. <laughs> well, for goodness sake. You who, Mrs. Uppington? Oh, how do you do, Mrs. McGee? Oh, so nice to see you. Oh, and Mr. McGee. Hi, Uppy. Did I hear you asking about some x-ray plates, Mrs. Uppington? Uh, yes, yes, sir, for my brother Stuyvesant. Uh, Stuyvesant is an operatic baritone, you know. He plays here last winter. Ooh, oh, so... yes. Stuyvesant Uppingtonio. We heard him in the Barber's Seville. Remember, McGee? Barber who? Let me think. Barber's Oh, yeah. Wasn't he the fat guy in the red tights that come out and hollered, Next? <laughs> Please, Mr. McGee. Well, uh, what happened to Stuyvesant, Mrs. Uppington? Oh, it happened last week at the annual banquet of the Union League Club. Oh. I was there with Stuyvesant, uh -huh. and I noticed he was eating entirely too fast. So I spoke to him about it. Sty, I said, you mustn't eat so fast. Really, I said, you're acting like a pig, Sty. <laughs> Dear, dear. Yes. And just then it... Oh, what a horrible moment. He swallowed a lace doily. Oh. Not stupid, <laughs> My, my. He was hungry, wasn't he? Does he like Chinese food, Uppy? I got an extra laundry bag he can have if he'll take uh, Please. <laughs> Mr. McGee, I, I don't consider Stuyvesant's predicament any cause for levity. Oh. Particularly in view of the outrageous newspaper publicity. What the newspapers do, Uppy? Oh, that horrible nickname they gave for Stuyvesant huh? when they saw the x-rays of that lace doily over his heart. What oh. nickname, Mrs. Uppington? Uh, the human valentine. Oh. <laughs> Isn't that perfectly disgusting? Oh, oh well, <laughs> goodbye. <laughs> What in trunk you suppose is in that package, Molly? Here, here, let me heft it a minute. Here it is. Hmm. Weighs about nine pounds. I wonder what weighs nine pounds. I did when I was born. <laughs> oh, there, baby. Here's the film, Jordan. Oh, thank you. Better stop by again tomorrow. Sure will, baby. Oh, uh, well, hello there, Johnny. Hello, daughter. Glad to see you. Hello, Mr. Oldtimer. I see you're working for some film company. Yep. They say it's got a great future, too. But I don't know. I still like the old stereopticon. <laughs> <laughs> you would. <laughs> Incidentally, you know who invented the magic lantern? Old Diogenes, when he was looking for an honest man. He knew he couldn't do it without magic. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good, Johnny. But that ain't the... See, what am I talking about? That wasn't either good. <laughs> The way I hear it, <laughs> one fellow says to tell us, fella, says, have you seen Tom Hope's new picture, The Cat and the Canary? No, says the second fellow. Anyway, that ain't Tom Hope's picture, it's Bob Hope. Oh, says the first fellow, I thought he'd play the part of the cat. <laughs> well, it's long, kids. Merry Christmas. Same to you, old timer. I wonder what would happen if the cat and the canary ever played a double bill with, of mice and men. I'll bet, I'll bet the mice... Woohoo! One side, everybody! Let me see the x-ray man. 
I'm afraid you can't see him right now, Grandma. He's busy. Okay, Shorty. I just wanted my collarbone that's frayed. I think I busted it. Huh? But it don't really matter. I hardly ever wear collars anyway. Yippee! <laughs> How'd you bust a collarbone, Grandma? I fell off a boxcar bumming away back from Atlanta. <laughs> Woohoo! What a trip! Yeah? I went down there for the preview, gone with the wind. Wowie, what a picture! <laughs> Only thing is, Skippy, I didn't get the big ovation I expected. Ovation? What did you expect? And that Clark Gable never even gave me a tumble. The rip. <laughs> Now, wait a minute. What is this? Why should they have paid any attention to you, Grandma? Shorty? Huh? It was a long time ago when you was only a boy. Yeah? But I was the first girl ever tested for Scarlett O'Hara. <laughs> oh, then were the good old days. Say, girlie, when the dock is free, give me a ring at the bowling alley. <laughs> Woohoo! One side for a glamour girl. <laughs> Glamour girl, eh? See, she might have come from a good southern family at that, McGee. Yeah. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if hers was one of the first families of Virginia to go barefoot. <laughs> Mr. McGee, the technician will see you now. Oh, thank you, dearie. Bring the package, McGee. Okay. Ooh, careful, Molly. It's kind of dark in here. Yeah. You the x-ray technician, bud? Certainly I am, Waddlebug. Yes, indeed. Oh, Boomer. <laughs> yes, Horatio K. Boomer. Expert on the short wave and the long haul. Say, uh, we want to have this package x-rayed, Mr. Boomer. We think there's money in it. Yeah. Money? Yeah. Why, of course, of course. Yeah. Now, look here, Boomer. I won't stand for this. You... Oh, hello, Fibber and Molly. Excuse me. Oh, don't mind us, Harlow, but ain't you in the wrong office? This is an x-ray, not a fluoroscope. Uh... Well, never mind that. Now, look here, Boomer. You're a jip. Now, there is a very penetrating bit of character analysis. Go on, Mr. Wimcock. Yes. Proceed with the indictment, my long-limbed linoleum lover. <laughs> now, looky here. Look at this fake X-ray photograph of Mrs. Perkins' spinal column. Is that it? You told her this proved she needed a long series of X-ray treatments for a lame back. Well, now, wait a minute, Harlow. Maybe Boomer's right. Oh, yeah? I took this picture to a real X-ray expert. And he said this was a fairly bad photograph of a banana stalk. Heavenly. <laughs> a banana stalk. Curses. I am undone. Now, you know very well, Boomer, there's nothing wrong with Mrs. Perkins' back that a little rest from floor scrubbing wouldn't cure in a week. Uh-oh, uh-oh. Somebody must have left the script open. <laughs> now, I told Mrs. Perkins, Boomer, to get some Johnson self-polishing glow coat for her linoleum. And she'd never again have a lame back from hours of scrubbing and worrying about scuffed and dull linoleum. I'll say so. Why, with glow coat, all she has to do is pour a little on the linoleum, spread it around, and wait for it to dry. No rubbing, no buffing. It's as simple as that. Here, take your picture of the banana stalk. <laughs> I rather like that, young man. Admire your sincerity. Sightable fellow, though. Well, hurry up and x-ray that package, will you, Mr. Boomer? Ah, yes, the package. Interesting assignment. Though this work presents many a fascinating problem, for instance, I x-ray a man, and all the valuables in his pockets are immediately exposed to my view. Oh. Care to look at some of my trophies? Here's a pair of star sapphire cufflinks. Had to give a patient 50,000 volts to get those. <laughs> 
Must have been quite a shock to him. Yes, yes. Here's a beautiful wallet. Took it right out from under a fellow's eye. Huh? Here's the wallet. And here's his eye. Oh. Here's a check for short beer. Yes, it's a fascinating... Oh, come on, hurry up, Boomer, and x-ray this package. Control yourself, Peabody, control yourself. Just wait till I turn on the juice. Ready? Go. Hmm, seems to be something wrong. Miss, uh, Miss Abernathy! Miss Abernathy! Yes, Mr. Boomer? Seems to be something wrong here with cars. Yes, it was shut off a little while ago. You haven't paid the light bill. Well, well, imagine that. No current. Come on, dearie. Let's go home. Yeah. I'd suggest you try another X-ray expert and more power to him. <laughs> Folks, Jimmy Shields sings a beautiful old Irish ballad. I'll take you home again, Kathleen. Take it to Christmas to open this package from Uncle Sycamore. Let's open it up now. Okay, McGee. I give up. Open oh, it. Okay. Nobody here but us chickens. Here she goes. Now, if this, if this box is full of dough, we, we'll, we'll have it to spend for Christmas. Right. And we'll... Oh, for the... Come in. Telegram for Fibber McGee. Sign here. Thanks. Oh, that's okay, bud. Keep the change. And a Merry Christmas to you. Huh. What's it say, McGee? Listen. Dear nephew... Please take my clothes out of box and hang them up. 
will arrive December 24th to spend the holiday. Oh. <laughs> Don't meet me at the station. We'll walk. It's cheaper. Oh, Signed, Sycamore McGee. Well, I'll be a... Run upstairs and get a cake of soap and a hairbrush, Molly. I think you're going to have to wash my mouth out and spank me in a few minutes. Oh, well, let yourself dear. go, dearie. I know just how you feel. Why, that stingy old rip. <laughs> Molly, it ain't fair. Doing me out of a million dollars like that. Not after the way I scrimped and saved and denied myself all these years. Ah, oh. oh, shucks, that spoils my whole Christmas. Oh, now, come, come. Cheer up, dearie. It isn't that bad. Go away. Oh. Be quiet. Come in. Hi, mister. Oh. What's on your mind, sis? Hmm? I says, what you want? What you got? That's beside the point. Gee, is it? You'd better be careful in having a hmm. Hadn't what? Hmm? <laughs> Listen, little girl, I ain't in any mood for small talk today. I just had a great sorrow. Oh. What you want? Well, gee, I've just been going around the neighborhood looking at people's Christmas trees, I bet you. Where's yours? We ain't put it up yet. Oh. What's more the way I feel now? I don't care if we never have oh, a death. Oh, McGee, now that's no way to talk. Well, anyway, what... Gee, I guess you're an old fireplace, mister, I bet you. I am not. Oh, yes, you are. Oh, no, I'm not. No, yes, you are. Oh, no, I'm Or am I? Hey, maybe I am at that. Hey, what's the matter with me, anyway? I'd rather tell you sometime after Christmas, mister. <laughs> oh, you would, eh? <laughs> hmm? Look, sis, you were absolutely right. I am a sourpuss. Sure. I'm a Scrooge. You come back Monday and take a look at our Christmas tree, and I think I can safely say there'll be something on it for you. Gee, honest? Oh, boy. <laughs> Get a load of that expression, Molly. I'll bet this is the first place she comes on Christmas morning. Oh, no, it won't. Huh? This is the 14th place, mister. What? Looky, I got a list, and they've all promised me a present. Gee, aren't people peachy, though? Hey, Willie. Yeah? I made my quota. How'd you do over at Jones's? Get like that to get you in the Christmas spirit. You know, Molly, this really is a great time of the year. Why, sure, sir. Yes, sir. I'll almost be glad to have your Uncle Sycamore here. <laughs> well, I wouldn't go quite that far. <laughs> what do we got to kick about? Enough to eat, a good home, nice neighbors. Even Mr. Gildersleeve? Why, sure, Gildersleeve is okay. And when he finds out I shovel his sidewalk off for him, why, he'll be... Oh, I bet that's him now. Look, Molly, let's ask him and his wife over for dinner in Bridge tonight. Let's really get acquainted with them. I'll bet they're real people. That's a good idea, McGee. Yeah. Come in. Hello, Mr. Gildersleeve. So nice to see you. Hi, Throcky, old man. Merry Christmas. Did you notice I shoveled all the snow off your sidewalk? Yes, I did. And listen here, McGee. Why don't you shovel off your own sidewalk? I'll take care of mine and you take care of yours. Well, I'll be a naughty comment. Why, Mr. Gildersleeve, what do you mean? McGee thought it would be a nice neighborly gesture. Mrs. McGee, 
The only gesture I want from that man you took for better or worse, and I know which. He's <laughs> a gesture of farewell. Oh, yeah? Gildersleeve, you got no more gratitude than a collector of internal revenue. Oh, is that so? Yes, that's so. McGee, one of these days I'm going to tangle with you. <laughs> And you'll wind up in a bigger cast than they had in The Wizard of Oz. Gildersleeves, if you ever twitch a lapel toward me, I'll hand a couple of socks on your chin that Santa Claus couldn't fill in eight centuries. Oh, is that so? Yes, that's so. All right, boys. Break it up. Break it up. Mommy, Mrs. McGee, if that's loose word of banana oil... Quiet, both of you. Sit down, McGee. Okay. And you, Mr. Gildersleeves, for shame. Well, I... The idea... Here it is nearly Christmas, and me husband went out of his way to... I hope next time he goes so far out of his way, he'll get lost. Listen, Gildersleeve, you can't talk that way to my wife about her husband. (laughs) Now, listen here, I won't have this quarreling in my house. Not with Johnson's wax on the floor. What's that got to do with it? Nothing, but we haven't mentioned it for some time. (laughs) Now, look, Mr. Gildersleeve. Yes, why on earth should you be angry because somebody does your favor? Yeah. McGee saved you a lot of work, just as a friendly act. Yeah. You're ungrateful and unreasonable. But, Mrs. McGee, I want to shovel that snow off the sidewalk myself. In the first place, my wife got me a new show snubbel for Christmas. <laughs> doctor told me to do it for the exercise. McGee is deliberately undermining my health. That's what he's doing. Not that I have anything against you. I like you, Mrs. McGee. Merry Christmas to you. Did you get our Christmas tree yet? No, but I'm going to run out right now and bring in the clothes pole. Clothes pole? Yeah, with all the needles I've got today, I can make my own tree. <laughs> Folks, this is our last chance to talk to you before Monday, and so on behalf of S.C. Johnson and Son and all of us on the program... We want to wish you a very Merry Christmas. Good night. Good night, all. <laughs> This is Harlow Wilcox, speaking for the makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's self-polishing glow coat, Racine, Wisconsin, inviting you all to join us again next Tuesday night at this same time. Good night. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Thank you for listening. I hope you'll be with me next week as I uncover more gems from the golden age of radio. Thanks to Paul Stringer and Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for A Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.